Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there, he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly! Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back as safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. 
the gospel of the Lord. The Pharisees and the scribes are criticizing Jesus because he is welcoming tax collectors and sinners. It's the wrong crowd, and he's even dining with them and going to their dinner parties. In other words, he's not conforming to their expectations about how the world is supposed to work. You know, most people want to move up in life, right? Most people seek the higher level. Most people want to uh, hang out with the establishment crowd, and they want invitations to the homes of the socially admired. And the Pharisees and the scribes, well, you know, they're considered to be some of the most honorable and educated people around, and so why isn't Jesus courting our favor, they're wondering. Instead, he's doing the opposite of what everybody else would do. He's sullying his reputation. He's lowering his honor and social status by hanging around with the dishonorable, with the shamed and the despised. And Jesus hears their comments, and he addresses them with a story. There was a man who had two sons. Immediately, you know, we lean forward. And the younger of them says to his father, Father, give me my share of the property, right, that will belong to me. He's talking about his inheritance. It should make us kind of gasp with shock that this young man would say something like this to his father. It's an unthinkable insult. It brings dishonor not only on this young man, but on his entire family, that he would do such a thing. To ask for his share of the inheritance while his father is still alive is the equivalent of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. But the father agrees, and he divides his property. I don't know how he did that. You know we're talking ancestral lands that have been passed down in the family for generations. Land is the most precious thing that you can possess. And he has to somehow divide the land and he has to divide the cattle and everything else that he's got between these sons in order to give what the younger son has asked for. And then the younger son does something even more unthinkable an even louder gasp from the crowd, he sells his share of the family lands. He sells off the ancestral land and cashes it in and takes off with the money in his pocket and leaves home. Now most families in this case would have performed a ritual. In fact, the whole community would have done so. They would have met the young man out at the edge of town and they would have broken a clay pot in front of him, dashed it to the ground, and declared him cut off for, uh, forever as though he were dead. You're just banned. You can never come back. But the father does not berate the son. He doesn't condemn the son. There's no ritual to cut off the son to maintain the family honor. And so in the eyes of the community, this man, this revered patriarch of the household, is beginning to look weak. He's losing status fast, and not just weak, but maybe more than a little bit stupid. And a few days later, the youngest son picks up, leaves home, takes everything he has with him, and of course the younger son's just thinking about himself. He's thinking about what he wants, what he doesn't want, what he has, but he has no thought for his family. He has no thought at all for the consequences 
and the effect that his choices are going to make on his family if he knows he doesn't care. They need him to work the land. And plus, you know, sons, those are a family's protection and a family's retirement plan. But he turns his back on his people, on his culture, on everything he's known, and he goes far, far away, not just in Jewish territory, but he goes off to Gentile land. He goes off to the Gentile territory where they raise pigs for crying out loud, pigs which are vile to Jews. And the temples are the Canaanite temples that have prostitutes working in them. And he squanders his inheritance on wild living. And we get to use our imagination. I knew another young man who took his inheritance, not while anybody was living, but he took the inheritance he got from his grandparents and he became the life of the party. Problem is, he got this inheritance when he was still in high school. And all of a sudden, you know, senior year and then graduating from high school, he was picking up the bar tab for his friends and he was buying the pizza for his friends and he was to, uh, paying the rent on the apartment and often not collecting from his friends and he was paying the gas when they were out running around town and he loaned the money when they were down and everybody seemed to need a loan. And then one day all the money was gone and so were the friends. Oprah Winfrey once said, everyone wants to ride in the limo with you. What you need are people who are willing to ride the bus with you. The young man isn't thinking about the future. He's living the high life. He's living it right now. He's just partying. He's having a great time. He spent everything. And then of course we know what's coming because we're smart and older and wise. And we know things are going to take a turn for the worse. And there's a severe famine in the land in which he has fled to. And there is nothing to eat. And he is so desperate for food that he goes to work for a pig farmer. He's a Jewish boy. Pigs are like you don't go anywhere near swine. They're unclean. They make you ritually unclean. This is like the worst thing. He couldn't bring more shame on himself and on his family now. It was bad enough he did the inheritance thing, and it was bad enough he left home. But now he's hired himself out to uh, a man who's farming pigs. And for a Jewish kid, that's kind of like shoveling uh, sewage. And he's out in the fields, and the pigs are eating, and he is so hungry that he starts to look down at the pods and the slop that the pigs are consuming, and they're looking pretty good. And he is about ready to scoop up handfuls of that stuff and start just shoving it into his mouth in his desperation. And we can imagine his gaunt frame. You can imagine his clothes cinched up, hanging on him, maybe a belt holding it all together around his waist. He's gaunt. His ribs are showing. And he's down there. He has nothing. He hasn't got a friend in sight now. And just before he starts to eat the slop, he comes to his senses, and he's thinking about home, and he says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now that I think about it, how many of my dad's servants, my dad's slaves, have something to eat. They've got bread. <laughs> Dad feeds them pretty well. They've got bread and some to spare. And here I am starving to death. So, gee, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up with a pretty little speech. And I'm going to head back home. But how? Because he knows. See, he shamed everybody. He shamed himself, shamed the family. 
shamed the village. And likely, if he shows up, he is going to be met there at the edge of town. And if he isn't stoned, you know, if he's certainly not going to be given admittance, he comes up with a speech and a confession. And he says, um, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. No status. He's not claiming status. He's not asking to be part of the family anymore. He's given up all of his privileges. He has no right to be in the household. He said, just put me out with the servants. Give me some bread and I'll work for you. But he's not returning out of love. And he's not returning out of concern for the family. He doesn't seem to have any remorse for any of the hardship that he's caused any of them. Just remorse for his own hardship. He is not feeling bad about the family land that he has squandered. There is no regret there at all. The only thing is he's hungry and he's run out of prospects. So he sets off and he goes home to see his father. Now, meanwhile, there's another son, the oldest son. Oh, yeah, we'd almost forgotten about him with all this drama with the youngest one. But the whole time the youngest one's been off running wild and shaming everybody, the oldest son has been pulling the load like he always has. You get the feeling this has been the family you know, system for a long, long time. While the youngest son is out running wild and partying and maybe with, I don't know, dissolute living, the oldest one is out working in the fields like he has every single day of his life for as long as he can remember. He has been the good kid. He's towed the line. He's lived up to the expectations. He's tried to be the reliable one. He's never caused any trouble. He's always put his duty first. And you know what? He's really bitter. He's really bitter. What, has, what have I ever gotten for it? Where's my reward? I've stayed behind. I've worked the farm. I didn't get any grand adventures, right? He's the one who has shown up month after month at the church to cook the meal, to clean the kitchen. He's the one who wrestles the crown of thorns down from the attic every single year and gets a few piercings in the process. He's the one that changes out the banners mysteriously before worship and replaces all the burned out light bulbs in the building and unlocks the doors and scrubs the bathrooms and the toilets and empties the trash cans and turns on the lights and makes the coffee and all the other little sundry things that happen around here so that we can gather and have a feast and a party on Sunday morning. And we appreciate it. We really do. We count on these people, right? And we notice it when they don't do this stuff. But do we remember to celebrate the oldest son? Do we remember to tell him how important he is and how, how crucial to the success of our mission? Do we kill the fattened calf and hire the band and throw a party? Or do we just expect these people to keep on keeping on? The thing is, Jesus tells these stories and he invites us to see ourselves in them. And he never gives us an ending. We're supposed to write the ending in our own lives. But you know, in this story, we're both of the sons some of the time. I don't know any of us that's always the oldest or always the youngest. I think we flip-flop back and forth. Sometimes we go to work and we do what's expected and we don't make any trouble and we're really responsible and we pay the bills and people can count on us. 
and we're reliable and we're selfless and we're loyal and you know maybe we're also feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves maybe we're a little bit resentful maybe we sometimes look a cast an eye at one of our younger siblings whether that's literally a sibling in our family or a coworker or somebody in the church or who knows and we are filled with resentment and bitterness and we're unforgiving and we're jealous and we pout and we stand in the yard and we refuse to go into the party. Sometimes we're the oldest, we play the martyr, but at least we say we showed up. Other times we're the youngest son. There are the days when we feel the constraints in our lives and the pain of our existence and the cage we live in and all we want to do is grab our stuff and run wild, right? We want to go on vacation. We want to quit. We want to be irresponsible for a while. We just want to have a little fun and we want to find some excitement and we want to immerse ourselves in pure pleasure. Sometimes we turn our backs on the people we love and on the people who love us. And sometimes we reject them and sometimes we disrespect them and sometimes we dishonor them and ourselves. But you know, we really don't care because hey, we are wild and free and we're having a good time and we haven't got a thought for tomorrow. We have those days. Some days we make mistakes. Some days we fail to plan. Some days we miscalculate. Some days we count a little too much that everything's going to be rosy tomorrow. Sometimes we find ourselves in the toilet where every trouble is followed by something worse and there is nobody to rescue us. Some days we're the youngest son. Some days we too have to turn back and tuck tail and make our confession. But here's the good news, right? The father loves both of his sons. The father runs out to greet the youngest son when he shows up there on the road. He's been watching for this son to return. It's not by accident that he spots him far away. You get the impression that he's been yearning for this younger son, praying for this younger son. And this man runs down the road to greet his son. I'm going to tell you something. Elders in these communities do not run. The Queen of England does not run out the front door to greet anybody. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, she is not rushing. She is poised and authoritative, you know, and regal at all times. And there are not big displays of affection. This is what's expected of the father in the household. He would never go meet the son, much less run down the road in public to embrace him. The father loves both of his sons. The party has started. The feast is on the table. Everybody's talking and rejoicing, and he's telling the story again and again to anybody who'll listen about how he saw his son in the road and how overjoyed he was to embrace him. And then he realizes that his oldest son has come in from the fields and is standing out in the yard. A servant says, by the way, your son's out in the yard, and he won't come in. And so this father, who is expected to sit at the head of the table, 
A father who is expected never to plead with anybody, never to beg for anything, never to take, never to shame or dishonor himself by going to the lower party, gets up from the place of honor at the head of the table and goes out in the yard to plead with his older son to please, please come in and join the celebration. And he says to him, you know, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But this brother of yours was lost and has been found. Please come in and celebrate with me. He runs to greet the oldest in the yard. He runs to welcome the one who rejected him. While we are still far off, Jesus is saying, the Father sees us. And God is filled with compassion for us. And God runs to us and throws God's arm around us and kisses us. Aristotle once said, great men never run in public. But this father runs to embrace us. And we stare at our toes and we kick the dust. And then in a tiny voice, maybe we say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your child. But you know what the father says to the servants? The father says to the rest of us, hey, grab a robe, put the best robe on them, put the ring on the finger, put the sandals on the feet, kill the fatted calf. We are going to have a party and celebrate because the one who was dead is alive and the one who was lost is found. And if we're the oldest son standing in the yard, fuming over a hard day's work, feeling resentful, then we also are lost and separated and in need of God's love and mercy and reconciliation. When we respond in anger and say, God, I've been here slaving away for you for years and years and obeying you, and what have you ever done for me? Our God looks at us with compassionate love and reassurance and says, my son, my daughter, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours Come, please, take your place at the table. Let us celebrate and be glad for the one who was dead is alive. And then Jesus ends the story without telling us what the older son does. Leaves it hanging so we can think about the endings we're writing in our own lives. So if you're standing at the door, if you've heard the band playing and the music and the laughter, if you have smelled the fatted calf roasting on the open fire, then come on in because there are wondrous things for us to celebrate this morning. God loves all of us all the time. And Jesus is on a mission of reconciliation. He is gathering all of us into the kingdom, into the household of mercy and love. We all have a place at God's table.